Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of Basement Ballin'. And today, I'm going to introduce you to the ballers. That is, my co-hosts. First up, we have Scott Price. How's it going, Scott? Going good, Dakota. What is going on, Baller Nation? (laughs) All right. I don't think Baller Nation knows what's going on with Baller Nation right now either, Scott. But I want to introduce you to my second co-host here today, and that's Nick. How's it going, Nick? Boys, excited to get rolling here. The first of hopefully, hopefully many more to come, but excited to get into this, boys. Let's go. All right, and uh, we also have me coming up the rear. That's Dakota Marshall here to set you up with today's theme. Today, we're going all in on Houston. City of Houston, we're going to answer a few questions for you. First of all, how are the Texans going to win a Super Bowl in the next two years? Second off, my buddy Nick over there is going to answer, how are we fixing these dreadful rockets? So, if uh, it's all fine with you boys, I think we can get right into it. Dakota, I'm a little worried about what you have cocked up here for the... uh... For the Texans, but let's see. Let's hear it. You definitely should be worried. I got a sneak peek. It you should be worried. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to know what's coming on here. But hit us with it. Hit us with. Hit us with the steps. What do you, What do you got for the Houston Texans? And good old Deshaun Watson, if he's still there. All right. Well, that was a good segue we've got going on. So let me set this up. First of all, me Dakota. I was I was hired by the Houston Texans. Believe it or not. Youngest GM in the history of football, I'm only 23, but I was given a pretty specific caveat, and that was, all right, Dakota, if you don't win the Super Bowl in the next two years, you're fired, blackballed from sports, never to have a job again. Yikes. So, we're going all in, and that leads me to step one, <laughs> to Nick's point. What we're going to do is we're going to trade Deshaun Watson. Now, you might say, oh, Dakota... You're trying to win a Super Bowl. Why would you train Deshaun Watson? He's the only thing that the Houston Texans have that is anywhere close to Super Bowl caliber right now. Um, and I would say, shut up. He doesn't. He wants out. So we're trading Deshaun Watson for Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Now, you might also say, why would Green Bay do this? Aren't they a little thick-headed? Aren't they a little focused in on their first-round quarterback of their own? But no. In this fictional scenario, you have to understand, Green Bay understands that last year's first round pick, he's a bust. They don't want to admit it, and they're not gonna, and they don't want to be sent to irrelevancy. Green Bay also realizes that Aaron Rodgers' year was an anomaly. He's probably not going to be able to keep that up for four to five more years, whereas Deshaun Watson, trajectory going up, arguably a better season even than MVP Aaron Rodgers, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But Green Bay is going to be set up for the future, and I think that'll get them to accept the deal. Whereas for us in Houston, it solves a few things. First of all, fixes the locker room. You can't keep a guy that's that disgruntled and have a team with cohesion in any sort of way, even at the loss of a little bit of efficiency. But also, you are able to gain a few key statistical advantages with Aaron Rodgers over Deshaun Watson. So, first thing I wanted to note was Green Bay 
Number one in passer rating in the NFL. Who was two? The Texans. So, you've got room to improve there, but you're close enough to where the trade will work out. Texans receivers actually led the NFL in terms of yards per catch. The thing that I wanted to note there is the Houston Texans with Aaron Rodgers, who is a little more efficient in the short game than the more erratic nature of the short game for Deshaun Watson, would be able to take advantage of the incredible amount of speed and athleticism they have on the outside, maybe to a slightly lesser extent, but also have Aaron Rodgers that can make up for the lesser talent in the middle of the field and create a more efficient offense overall, especially in the red zone and quite often on third downs. So, I've given my reasons why I think it'll work, and I've given my reasons why I think it'll work out for both teams. I want to hear your thoughts. I'm going I'm to give you the short answer to that. Uh, no. <laughs> um, if, you, if, you're, if you're Houston and the Green Bay thinks it's an anomaly that Aaron Rodgers had an MVP season, why would Houston do that? At least that's my perspective. And if you're Green Bay, is it, is it really just Aaron Rodgers? Is it just a straight-up trade? Because I feel like at that point, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers and draft picks. Because I think if you're factoring in age or factoring in contract, I would take Deshaun Watson over Aaron Rodgers right now, without a doubt. So from, oh, from no. the Green Bay I perspective, agree. from the Green Bay perspective, I, I don't like it at all. I mean, I mean, sorry, from the Houston perspective, I don't like it at all. All right. I don't think you're taking into account how fractured a locker room can be and how that can ruin a team. How do you think a team with the second most offensive efficiency in the NFL ended up ha- earning the third overall draft pick that they don't even get to use? But you but you remember who you're bringing That's in. That's a fractured locker you're, room. You're bringing in a man who doesn't even like it. You, That's you're a bring, terrible you're defense in a is what that is. like his own family. We're talking about a fractured locker room. But you're bringing that's not the that's not the right quarterback <laughs> to fix your locker room. If we're talking about mm. bringing in but, a guy to fix the locker room, Aaron Rodgers is not. I wouldn't call him a noted head case, but he has his he has his ups and downs in terms of uh in terms of morale. I don't mm. know if he's the right guy to bring in. Yeah, and again, this is probably the wildest single step out of my plan. But I just truly believe that, although I think Deshaun Watson is better, that relationship is not fixable. No, I, I 100% agree. 100% agree. And so if we want to win the Super Bowl this year, we need to get a move on and get and recoup some kind of value. And Aaron Rodgers has the added advantage of having a little bit of clout. He brings in an air of change. And he's a guy who his whole career has stated he's disappointed in the Green Bay Packers for not being willing to go all in on him. And with this plan and the strategy that will be laid out, we will also be able to prove to Aaron Rodgers that he's getting everything he's ever wanted, which I think could bring the best out of him or completely blow up in our face. But we'll have to see. I think I think if I was in your position here, I I think I'm looking for more of I don't want to say the Matt Stafford deal, but I'm looking to get a starting quarterback and extra assets. I I love the idea, I don't know, was it a month or two ago, that the Tua trade where they would deal Tua and extra first-round picks to Houston and for Deshaun Watson. I think if you bring in a young quarterback, you get extra first-round picks, then you can build not just a short-term success but a long-term success. You get a young quarterback like Tua, go get him a weapon in the draft, go sign him a free agent because you have, you'll have gobs of cap space if you move Watson. I feel like getting Aaron Rodgers feels like the right move in terms of getting a good quarterback. But in terms of managing the cap and being able to build around them, bringing in that Rodgers contract does not help. 
At least that's my perspective. They do actually save money on an Aaron Rodgers contract as compared to Deshaun Watson. Do you have the the amount? You know how much? Or roughly? Yeah. They'll save $8 million. I mean, that I, $8 million is enough to go get a solid weapon. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's not... Mm-hmm. The, the cap number does matter. But, I don't know, if I, if I was Houston and I'm going all in, I, I still think Houston could do a very wise thing to do almost like a two-pronged thing. Trade Deshaun Watson mm-hmm. to somewhere and get a ton of draft, like draft picks. And then go get a different quarterback in a different trade. I love the idea of like a Teddy Bridgewater, a guy who's, you know, he's not going to command a ton of money. He's not a superstar, but he's good enough to get like, look at Teddy Bridgewater in Minnesota. Those those teams were pretty solid. That Carolina team this year, that wasn't a very good roster. Christian McCaffrey played three games and Teddy Bridgewater made them pretty competent. I think a guy like a Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, buy low on Jimmy mm-hmm. Garoppolo. Heck, if, if Miami really wants to move Tua to take a quarterback, go go grab Tua, kind of like the Josh Rosen thing with Arizona. I would trade Watson. Go ahead. But, to, here, then, but with Tua, the issue would be the amount of talent that the, the Miami Dolphins had this last season mm-hmm. is significantly more than what the Houston Texans could reasonably even even achieve if they That's a fair point. That's a fair point. a whole offseason. Because Houston's just they're just they're completely stuck with what they have just because they're in a cat they're in a bad cap situation, even if they were were, were to make a, a loss. So that's part of the reason why I think the Aaron Rodgers thing is a little like you I don't think because you you mentioned Aaron Rodgers, you know, they never built around him in Green Bay. The problem is we're gonna trust the Houston organization to build around a good quarterback. Uh, but Nick, you're not taking into account we are the Houston organization now. So we will actually be making the moves to build around him. Yeah, but you got to convince Aaron Rodgers that you're willing to do everything. There are not a lot of teams I could see Aaron Rodgers being willing to go to. Mm-hmm. And I I can see even less that he would be willing to go to and that would have a legitimate need for Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. I, I love the creativity. I, lo- I love going out there on a limb. I love, I love the wild trade idea. This one seems a little, yeah. a little out there, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I absolutely understand that, too. I did also put in several notes of if this trade doesn't happen, the only thing that's different is you could make the same kind of speculation and say, hey, the Texans fixed their relationship with Deshaun Watson. I just wanted this scenario to be more plausible, and I think legitimately it's more plausible that they could get Aaron Rodgers and that they could they could fix the scenario with Deshaun Watson in a way that does not fracture that locker room. You know what? That's a, that's a hot take I can buy. I'll be honest with you. That's a hot take I can buy. I think I think the Watson-Houston relationship is, is done. It's fractured beyond repair. Mm-hmm. It, it absolutely is. Just because the issue Deshaun Watson has with the Houston organization is with Correct. ownership. Yes. And... This is if you, they're not selling the team for you're not going to sell a team for a quarter because your quarterback's unhappy with you. That's just that would be incredibly idiotic and not just nonsensical of owner of an ownership to make that to sack, sack to sell a team. Yeah, because mini, your mini preview unhappy. feels like ownership issues in Houston. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's that's going to be why whatever pro, whatever moves you make, Dakota, mm. and I know some of them, and they it gets even wilder than this. <laughs> and I, I'll make I, I'll talk about that when we get there. But all right, so 
I was prepared to get a lot of pushback on that step one. I get it. We're living in a fantasy world, and I'm just along for the ride a little bit on that step one, too. But I think it's time to get into step two. It's a little more technical. So how do you fix the Houston Texans now that you have Aaron Rodgers? You start looking at what's wrong with the Houston Texans. And you start to see that across the board, the biggest issue the Texans have is efficiency. They're garbage in every efficiency stat all across the board. So several of the next steps are, in an essence, just to fix those efficiency numbers. We're going all in with new school thinking, and we're going to get the most out of our old quarterback. So step two, we're focusing on the offense. That's improve running efficiency. A few quick stats to throw at throw out to you, all right? In terms of yards per carry, the Houston Texans are 17th, okay? Not good, not great, not terrible, not yeah, great, right? Kind of right, right? right in the middle. This is right. That's probably their best um, efficiency stat of any um, of the ones we're going to go through, and that's very disappointing. Yeah, it's, uh, that's so not great. We're going to focus on fixing that, and the good news is I think this is a relatively easy fix, especially with the kind of prospects available in the draft. Now, Houston Texans, believe it or not, don't have a first or second round pick. So we're throwing a third round pick out and we're grabbing a couple yard per carries just monsters from college football. We're either grabbing Khalil Herbert, 7.68 yards per carry on 168 attempts, or Michael Carter from North Carolina, who has a 7.98 on 156 carries yards per carry. Both of them are ranked relatively highly in the running back room, sitting at 8th and 10th on Caleb Infante's list from CBS. Both of them fit that kind of, that mold of a uh, scat back type, let's get him the ball, let him explode, you know, 5'9", 212 versus 5'8", 200 kind of guy. You've already got your bell cow guy in David Johnson. And although he has definitely lost a lot of explosiveness, he can still carry the load. But adding in these third, fourth round running back guys that can just give you just an ungodly amount of explosion on five to 10, maybe 15 touches a game can take their offense to the next level in an offense that is already definitely not lacking. So the running backs you named, not bad. I think there's two running backs in that third to fourth round range that I think fit Houston better. One of them would be Chuba Hubbard mm-hmm. from Oklahoma State. The guy was an absolute animal this this past year, and you know the Pac-12 again. I mean the Big 12, not known. We're considering in this situation you already have Aaron Rodgers. What correct? Yes, he he yes he has Aaron Rodgers. So Chuba Chuba Hubbard to me Aaron Rodgers to me yeah. to me Chuba Hubbard feels like. The David Johnson replacement, and if you can get a, a starting running back replacement in the third round, and you can give him a year to sit behind David Johnson and really learn the ropes, I feel like that's a good one. Mm-hmm. And my other guy would be Trey Sermon, Ohio State, for the simple reason that he's also a massive force in the receiving game. I feel like part of efficiency mm-hmm. rushing the ball is that you got to have a legitimate passing attack. And what better way to increase your passing attack than having your running back out of the backfield be essentially another receiver? Go watch any of the film from him at Ohio State. He was he's been ridiculous at Ohio State. He tore up even the national championship where you know they didn't play the greatest. He or not the national championship, the uh 
the semifinal, he was an animal. I think Trey Sermon would be a beautiful fit in Houston, especially if they don't have a lot of picks. If that's the first guy mm-hmm. you come away with, that to me feels like a win. So I would go for Sermon or Chuba Hubbard, but I, I don't hate your idea of getting high-efficiency running backs, guys who make the most out of their carries. I'm looking at their measurables. Chuba Hubbard kind of falls into that slight, just slightly lighter than the than what your average NFL running back in is. He comes in at 6'1", 207, with a 4.52.40 time, which is I wouldn't call that slow he's not, by any he's not a means, but I would call that he's not a speed guide. No, no, he's not a blazer, and I would call that kind of a more prototypical running back. Which I don't think is bad going with you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. It's because Aaron Rodgers has never had that like scat back kind of guy. That's never been his MO mm-hmm. as a quarterback. He's always had kind of a bigger guy. Think yeah, Eddie Lacy. Mm-hmm. Even Aaron Jones isn't the smallest guy either. Yeah, I don't think Aaron Rodgers has ever had that efficiency first running back. And that's kind of the whole area of target in this entire section. So I definitely agree. It's also a coincidence, too, that they started giving Aaron Jones the ball more in Green Bay this year, and Aaron Rodgers had one of his best seasons. So I feel like if you're mm-hmm. going to build around Aaron Rodgers— I don't think that's a coincidence well, at yeah, all. Yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. I think the key to building around Aaron Rodgers is to not make Aaron Rodgers throw the ball 40, 50 times a game. Because you have a legitimate rushing attack, and that's what I think you're going for, and I think that's a very smart move. Right, and I actually had that written down in my notes, too, is— Aaron Rodgers' two best seasons, what what was in common? They had a guy who, running the ball, had their best season ever as well. It's a chicken or an egg situation. Was Aaron Rodgers just on fire and that opened up the running lanes? Or did Eddie Lacy take control and get Aaron Rodgers that best season of his career, arguably? And, you know, the same thing this last season, where getting that running back or those sets of guys that can sort of control the tempo and just let Aaron Rodgers be wildly efficient is what allows him to be special. And so you already have that guy in David Johnson that with a little bit of a rebound year, we're projecting him to be a little better this year, coming back another year off that injury, can kind of sponge up a bulk of the carries, but then you can throw in that guy that can just be a 100% explosion that the defenses have to be scared about that can really bolster the entire running game as a whole without having to, you know, actually take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands too much. Yeah, and I think if you look back at David Johnson in Arizona, I mean, he was a stud. Granted, we're not going to get mm-hmm. David Arizona David Johnson anytime soon, but if you get 75% of Arizona David Johnson, that's a darn good running back. That's mm-hmm. a good running back. Exactly. And I think that in order to have, you know, Super Bowl chance with a talent deficient roster, you have to make a few assumptions. And one of them that I had to roll with was David Johnson's going to be David Johnson. And I don't think that's an unfair idea. Again, and you running backs often are hit or hit hit and miss. You get guys who just kind of Mm -hmm. burst on the scene and guys who come back. I mean, like not that Frank Gore's doing anything great, but Frank Gore's getting legitimate carries this year for the Jets. And Frank Gore wasn't bad. We're talking like Frank Gore's old, and you're telling me David Johnson can't yeah, get a little bit of a Frank bounce back. Like that's not an unfair assumption for you. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It's also funny that just All now right. over the wire, Aaron Rodgers MVP. <laughs> so oh, absolutely. So, no, so we're perfect. Timing. So we're now tra- so we're not trading the the MVP. <laughs> the Raining now NFL multiple MVP. minute old MVP is now on the move. Right. <laughs> 
That's just part of the fun, boys. That's just part of the fun. Beautiful timing. Could not have had better timing. The NFL awards. Aaron Rodgers is now announcing MVP. (laughs) Hit us with step three. All right. Let's go to step three. This is probably the both most and least controversial step. Most and least. First of all. I know I have several problems with this step. So the part that is not controversial is the idea behind it. So step three, very general. Let's fix the cap. Now, how we got there is by making a couple moves that made Scott, uh, the hair on the back of Scott's neck stand (laughs) up and, you know, started a little bit of a sports debate that he didn't want to have so we could save it for the pod. But thank God I'm not a Houston Texans fan and Dakota is not my GM. Or I would be rioting in the streets. Scott knows what Dakota has planned up. I have zero idea what's coming. So so I'm I'm completely in the dark until he says it. Scott kind of knows what's coming. Let's preface this with a little bit of information. The Texans right now are projected to be about $18 million over the cap based on the latest NFL projections. I've heard a few murmurings that it might not be as low as they're projecting, which could lower the amount that they're over the cap. But with the circumstances of this year, I'm going to work with this a kind of less aggressive cap number. And so Texans, $18 million over the cap. Hey, Nick, do you know what player on the Houston Texans has a base salary of $17.5 million and no guaranteed money? I do not. Hey, Scott, do you happen to know the answer to that question? <laughs> I absolutely do. Yeah. <laughs> and that would be one Mr. Former... NFL Defensive Player of the Year, multi-time former NFL Defensive Player of the Year. That would be he has no guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. He was signed to an extension way back in 2014, and this is one of I, I believe he has two years left a, on his contract. Oh my with no guarantee. He's not fire's agent. How you get no guarantee? Exactly. And so a trade of JJ Watt will free up his entire salary, and so that's why the first step, you know, step three A, fix the cap. We're trading JJ Watt. I'll come in with this. If you're rebuilding, I like the idea. If you're contending, that is a very iffy move. So I want to hear what you have next here. But that's very iffy if you're trying to compete right away. And I will also... We're using it. I'll also say Aaron Rodgers, who has a no trade clause, (laughs) would never, ever go to Houston if he knew that J.J. Watt was about to go out the door. All right, Scott. You've got to you got to trust me here. We just got to have the conceit that Aaron Rodgers is coming to Houston. All right, I get it. It's a little it's a little uh little out of left field, but we got to work. Aaron Rodgers, big Houston guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a big Houston <laughs> big, guy. big fan of the state of Texas. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers is in on the. Plan. Yeah, he's not from California. Aaron Rodgers is in on the plan, so he knows that the team without JJ Watt is actually going to be better. All right, so now, hit, hit me with this 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 JJ Watt trade. We're getting a two and a three for J.J. Watt. I think it'll be an upper mid two and an upper mid three. Now, Scott, in his projections, told me he thought J.J. Watt would net a late one. I was thinking, for our purposes, that a two and a three would work better with approximately equal value. So, All right. so, I, so for me, the comparison, I'm not saying skill-wise, but Yannick Ngakwe, again, didn't have a contract. He got a fifth, right? from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I think a two and a three isn't far off. I don't think you're far off on that. J.J. Watt's got a contract. Yeah. There's no guarantees on it. Make the argument, probably a sound mm-hmm. argument, that J.J. Watt's a better player and probably mm-hmm. a better 
better leader too. Good locker room guy, good glue guy. Yeah, I think I think you're you're right mm-hmm. with a two and a three is probably fair value. All right, and we'll be using that two and a three in step five. So you're gonna have to hang on. For oh, that. I gotta wait till step five. Five. Oh boy. <laughs> oh. Yeah. All right. So we're traded JJ Watt. That makes us about uh, neutral on the cap. We're also saving nine million dollars from the Aaron Rodgers trade. What we're also going to do is we're going to sign Aaron Rodgers to a long-term extension, and we're going to kick that money down the road, all right? We're going to free up even more money. Oh, we're signing bonusing it? Oh, yes. Oh, boy. Cap restructure and contract restructures galore. Yep, we're also specifically restructuring Laramie Tunsil, as he's the only player that I think you could restructure and might eventually be worth it and could maybe be traded in some capacity. Just remember just remember what they traded to get Laramie Tunsil. Mm-hmm. It's the what. Yeah, but he's got the long-term extension, so I believe that he's going to be around no matter oh, what his oh, yeah, and he's a, is, he's especially a, he's when you're... He's a great player, but if you look back, again, this is kind of a sidebar, but if you look back, I doubt Houston makes that trade knowing where their first-round pick ended. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> and I, I hope I. That's probably part of the reason why Houston is where they are, making moves like that. Mm-hmm. But I would rather have Penny Sewell today than Laramie Tunsil. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking, we want to talk salary cap. We want to talk salaries. Yeah, I mean, Easy. rookie contract. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not exactly what we're talking about, but it does tie into the fact that the, the Texans are in semi cap hell because of the fact that. They moved their now high draft picks for good players. Don't get me wrong, but for players that probably they would take deals, they probably would make again. All right. So the final part of fix the cap, I have potential cuts. And when combing through the, the roster, I think the only other potential, you know, maybe not cut, but more likely trade would be Zach Cunningham. I feel like he hasn't lived up to his potential yet, and he has about a fourteen million dollars base salary. And you can save more than half of that. What do you? So, what are you estimating um, his value at? What am I estimating his value? Honestly, I didn't put it in because I think we're going to have to keep him because I don't think you can recoup value considering how big his contract. is. I was going to say the the comparison is um, wasn't Raquan McMillan traded rather early in his career? Mm-hmm. And I believe that was a was like mm. a fifth or sixth round pick. So yeah. that I mean, I don't think you could get much better. Yeah, than that. I, I was gonna say like I was hoping you weren't gonna drop some like crazy trade, crazy draft pick in there. So yeah, I would say like you could probably get the fourteen million dollars certainly doesn't help. So I think uh, mm. being conservative, you can probably get a sixth round pick in a Zach Cunningham trade, especially if you're freeing up a little bit of money. Yeah, I don't hate that idea. Right. Yeah, and it would be more about freeing up the money than not, but he's he's sure. on the bubble there. We're, we're still deciding what to do with Zach. Now that we have a fixed cap, we can start using it. So that brings us to step four. Step four, what we're going to do is we're fixing the pass defense. And we're not just fixing it, all right? We're going to have the best secondary oh in the NFL. Oh you know, boy. at least top five. <laughs> oh, no. It gets, it gets crazy so, here. Let me throw out a few stats just to give you context of uh, why fixing the pass defense is so important. They gave up the second highest passer rating in the NFL, 109.6. Only one team gave up a higher passer rating last year. Nick, you want to take a stab at it? Let me guess. For those who don't know, my team is the Atlanta Falcons. Let me guess. It's the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I'm actually shocked. It's the Detroit Lions. I'm actually shocked about the Falcons, but the Lions aren't very good either, so... 
<laughs> so it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's the Detroit Lions who, spoiler alert, their ineptitude will come up several times. It's the Detroit this Lions who had noted defensive genius Matt Patricia. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how are we going to fix the pass defense? <laughs> the pencils magic, baby. How are we fixing the pass defense? We're signing one to two year deals for two of the best cornerbacks on the free agent market. First thing we're going to do, we're getting a, a one-year $12 million deal or two years 22 for Richard Sherman. Okay. Keep in mind, our defense will be shifting towards a Tampa 2 style with new defensive coordinator Lovey Smith. And Richard Sherman, in 2019, gave up the third lowest passer rating in the NFL, only played five games last year, I don't think it's unreasonable to make the assumption that he can get somewhat close to his 2019 numbers going into this next season. Okay. I, I, like, I like it. I like where you're going. All right. What we're also doing is taking note of the Texans roster and knowing that they only have one solid cornerback on the roster, and that's Bradley Roby. Vernon Hargraves, their best corner, I would say, is a free agent, and we're letting him go. And to bring in cornerback number three, so you can have your big three, we're going to sign one declining player in Patrick Peterson. I don't have any kind of fancy number to throw out at you of how Patrick Peterson has actually been surprisingly good. No, he, he's definitely been on the decline, but he's still a solid player. And not only is he a solid player, he's a solid player still that has never had a cornerback two on his team ever, let alone been on a team where he's not cornerback one. And so I expect a mini resurgence from one Patrick Peterson who can go around using his still above average athleticism, even at age 30, to cover team's second and third best wide receivers i project him to have a one-year 12 million dollar deal kind of in the same vein as sherman maybe you can get a better deal for him but you got to money whip people a little bit when you're as bad as the houston texans all right so i i got a couple any thoughts number one not a big dominique rogers cromarty guy (laughs) didn't 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 like him when he was at arizona uh number two I think Patrick Peterson's value also you can put him on kick return. Remember, he he was an electric kick return. Mm-hmm. The guy returned punts, I believe, this past season for Arizona. So there's so there's value mm-hmm. beyond the cornerback idea. Which again, maybe that's not any bit of a factor to anybody, but maybe he struggles at corner, you at least can get some other value from him. And I guess the other part of it is mm-hmm. Are we sure Arizona is going to let Patrick Peterson go? I think that is definitely a question because he is, to me, the third best Arizona Cardinal of all time. Because he's been there. What? How long has he been in Arizona? They're already losing one of them because I they think Fitzgerald's retired. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't think they're going to want to lose two of their best three. Yeah, I just feel like he's one of those guys where it's like every franchise has those couple guys where it's like, all right, like we're just not going to let this guy go. Because what was it? Early last year, early this year, where he was on the block, he was he, he was in the hot seat. They were going to move him, pretty much for whatever they could, and they rekindled that relationship. And he's been there, seemingly pretty happy since those trade rumors. Again, not to, to destroy, destroy mm. your idea, Patrick Peterson would be a good fit. I just don't know if he leaves Arizona. 
I think that's a good point, too. Especially when you have a player that's that legendary with that franchise. But I also think it's important to note that they have had misgivings between the franchise and Patrick Peterson. As well as in Arizona, I feel like they're kind of in a stalemate and they're going to have to do a mini rebuild to reinvest in youth in the roster to me. Uh, yeah, but I was going to say, the other conversation they were on in Arizona is getting rid of um, man model Cliff Kingsbury, but that's a different discussion for a different day. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. But yeah, I, I like the idea of, again, this is kind of my thing and it'll come up in my part of this this discussion is the idea of buying low on guys. And I think that's what you're doing with Richard Sherman. Mm-hmm. I think it's what you're doing with Patrick Peterson. While you're not going out and mm-hmm. buying low, you're essentially trying to buy low on David Johnson, assuming that he's going to bounce back. I like the idea of a team that's either trying to elevate or trying to get the final pieces in to invest in guys who have good bounce back potential. Similar to the Rams the year they made the Super Bowl. They signed Clay Matthews. My mistaken, they had they had Namagatsu, mm-hmm. who was the year before not very good. I I see I see the, the vision you're coming up with. We're we're getting somewhere here. I kinda like it. Unrealistic? Maybe. Smart? I'll I'll give it to you. I think the theme, if you haven't put it together to this point, was we're going all in on recouping value and increasing efficiency in every way. And we're going all in to not not to steal a Scottism, but he likes to call that the Chip <laughs> Kelly problem. And he projected no, a little bit of that. No, no, no. No, what I called the Chip when I was talking about the Chip Kelly problem, the issue with I'm trying to remember I'm blanking on what I was talking about. Um We're talking about efficiency I out know, of the running game and between Aaron Rodgers and the receivers. No, the the offensive offensive efficiency comes to a point because at a point especially when you're Houston and you have a bad defense which even even if you improve and get Richard Sherman and Patrick Peterson you already lost JJ Watt at that point you still have a bad defense mm-hmm. the chip kelly problem is if you're too efficient on offense you're going to put your defense on the field way for way 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 too long and they're just going to give up bunches and bunches of points and at that point, efficiency on offense doesn't matter. So, Scott, your idea is you got to build the defense mm-hmm. first and then build the offense. No, 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 no. That's not the issue. The issue is if you go solely for efficiency on offense, your defense, you have to find a way to strengthen your defense mm-hmm. at the expense of your offense. Because if you're, if you're efficient on offense, you're obviously going to have the ball for a significantly less amount of time. Just because you're efficiently moving the ball down the field and scoring points or your drives are stalling. I think one thing you're not taking into account is that every team that has had the Chip Kelly problem has had a similar issue. That they've had a historically garbage secondary with a good front. And this team that we're building is taking the new school thought of, all right, we're going to build a stud secondary and get ahead and then if they have to do a lot of plays, and because we're doing a lot of plays, most of those are going to be passing plays. And with our secondary, they're not going to be easy. Uh, uh, see, see, that's where we have philosophical differences. I'm for building the defensive line first. But I again, I see where you're coming from. You're trying to strengthen 
areas of the defense that will make the defense more efficient so that at least at maybe you're not getting completely stops, but you're at least limiting something. You're at least you're at least controlling something, mm-hmm. which the Houston Texans would be very happy to do. Mm-hmm. And essentially the idea is if your secondary is a certain amount of good, you can throw numbers and create a pass rush. I don't think you can throw numbers at a secondary to make it good. And I think, Scott, your Philadelphia Eagles tried that for seven years in the 2010s where they thought, all right, we'll just keep improving our pass rush, have garbage secondary, and every once in a while it works. But more often than not, their secondary would be just torched. And so I'm going with the exact opposite plan. If you want to talk Eagles about this, I can talk a ton about Eagles. How that absolutely wasn't... 100% the plan. They tried so hard to address the secondary. It just never panned out. Byron Maxwell, absolutely garbage, isn't Mm -hmm. he? Even Dominique Rodgers-Camardi, at best case average, is an eagle. It just never worked out. The guys they picked in drafts never panned out. Eric Rowe they traded away and still never turned out good. Sidney Jones... And I'm not going to make the argument that they that they didn't invest in their defensive backfield at all, but philosophically, the Eagles were always going to make sure that their front was priority number one. And the times, absolutely, the Eagles, the philosophy of the Eagles is you build your team through the offensive line and the defensive yeah. line. That has always been their their just it's just their philosophy. That's why whenever you look in you're looking at drafts, even when the offensive and defensive lines are your strengths, you still have to look at that as a potential pick because just because you know the Eagles, that's just their philosophy to build through the trenches. Mm. Yeah, and that's why I think it's very important to try out the philosophy in a sort of inverted fashion where let's let's see what happens. Let's build a secondary where we have guys that we trust to cover one-on-one with minimal help and just throw guys at the quarterback. And I think new head coach in Houston is coming from the Ravens system, which is why I think, mm. I mean, again, depending on what he, what his philosophy is compared to what he was running, because he never, because he wasn't the defensive coordinator, he was defensive assistant. So whether mm-hmm. he has his, whether he comes to Houston with his own ideas, whether he comes with just straight Ravens ideas, or he has a hybrid of his own in the Ravens, I think the Houston Texans outside of your plan, are going to be molded very similar to the Raven, at least in in certain aspects. Mm -hmm. The Ravens have never been afraid. The Ravens are one of the teams that were never afraid to just over-invest in their secondary, and it has paid off. Which is is why, again, I think think you're down the right path. So why I want to, I'm ready for the rest of this plan. I, I don't know. I don't know where it's going, but I have a point to make, but I'll make it once Dakota gets to the point of trying to, because I know what he, where he's going when he's going to talk about it on the defensive front. And I, I have a point to talk about there. Mm-hmm. But I'll wait till you get there. Dakota. I believe what you're referring to is step Hit us with five. It. Hit us with it. Step five. Very general. You have a competent pass defense. Okay. Once you have a pass defense. You got to go get some pass rushers because Houston doesn't got none. Now you don't have J.J. Watt. Um, that is not what I was talking about. We're fixing the run defense, all well, right? That, well, you got to do a little overload now that you don't, you don't got J.J. Watt. We are getting pass rushers, but we're not going all in with the let's go get bendy, twitchy guy that maybe pass rushes 5% better. We're going for 
pass rushers that are in the Demarcus Lawrence vein of they're going to put on pressure. They're not going to have those elite sack numbers, but what they're going to do is make sure that your run defense is shored up. And how are we going to make that happen? Well, since we already used our own picks improving the running game, we're going to use those picks we got in that J.J. Watt trade, that two and that three, to pick up a couple of college prospects. First of all, with our mid-second round pick, we're taking Jay Tufele out of UCLA. 6'3", 315, plays defensive tackle, big boy in the middle. I'm a firm believer that the Tampa 2 system never works if you don't have a guy in the middle who can just eat. In order for them to transition to that style of defense, that's got to be priority number one if you want to have any semblance of a run defense. With that third round pick, we're picking up Cameron Sample. 6'3", 274, projects as maybe a strong side defensive end. He was actually the Senior Bowl MVP. Think Tank Lawrence potential with you know, an improving run game, improving run defense style that has improved every year of his college career and can honestly help turn a defensive line without J.J. Watt into, you know, not the same kind of pass rushing force, but give it some semblance of pass rush while shoring up the run defense. All right. Uh, I like now, that. I like that. I don't got much to add other than that's that feels like the right ideas. Uh, and a few things that I wanted to throw out about this is the Texans did give up the highest yards per carry in the NFL of 5.2. And when you're giving up 5.2 yards per carry, you can't play any kind of that's defense. A fact. That's a fact. <laughs> an- another thing that if you're a Texans fan, you might want to cover your ears for. They were tied for the second most rushing touchdowns allowed with the Raiders. Nick, do you want to guess what team was worse? I don't, because I feel like I know who it is. As I foreshadowed earlier, it's the Detroit Lions again. <laughs> Defensive genius, <laughs> Matt Patricia. <laughs> Luckily, we don't have a Lions fan here today because all of my stats just tie back to how but bad the worry, Lions are, unfortunately. Dan Campbell will be eating kneecaps and therefore <laughs> cannot allow five yards per play, per rush, per anything. No five yards of anything. <laughs> Jared Goss just going to fix everything. <laughs> well, before I move on to step six, which is kind of how to use these guys, do you have anything to add, Scott? I'm just worried that, that relying solely on the draft to address a defensive line is an issue, partially because you already have, you've lost your pass rush when you've traded away J.J. Watt. That's an issue. And I'll, I'll throw out a name. You, you are going to throw the name out that I was going to throw out, but I held back. So you know who I'm throwing out. That would be one Mr. Former former Miami Hurricane and former Temple Al. That would be one Quincy Roche, who is a great pass rush option in the third round. I wholeheartedly believe that he will be a great NFL pass rusher. Temple Owls do not miss in the draft. And I think can't I miss think prospects Temple Alice. I think Quincy Roche Every too. A lot of people, a lot of people look at Quincy Roche's numbers and say that he dipped. But remember, he came to Miami thinking he was going to be with Gregory Rossois, and he didn't get him because he opted out, and he was still pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. So absolutely true. I again, I, I know, I know Quincy. He's a good player. I agree with you. I don't know if he'll be a great NFL player. But he sure as heck he won't be a bad player. He's got a high floor, mm-hmm. so I, I like I like where Scott's going with that. Again, the second and third round 
there's always the potential for a dude to fall. So obviously, obviously you got to project mm-hmm. picks and who's going to be who you uh-huh. like think you're going to pick. But you never know. There could be a first round D end or D tackle that's there in the second round that you can use with that pick we got in the JJ Watt trade. There could be a guy that fell who was in the second round mm-hmm. that could fall to the mm-hmm. third round that we could use one of the third round picks on. Again, the idea of picking mm-hmm. you know one of those big body D tackle Warren Sapp style D tackles makes a ton of sense. Picking a pure, I call him a pure pressure D-end makes a lot of sense. Just who particularly it will be depends on who's available. But again, like the idea where you're going here. I don't want, because I know as, as an Eagles fan this past season, it was incredibly frustrating because we had no one at this position. I feel like we're forgetting that linebackers uh, I 100% exist. Agree. Now, I think Houston had, I don't I, I don't know enough about the Texans to know how good their their linebacking core was. The linebacking was. core was probably the best part of the Texans' <laughs> awful defense. But it is imperative if you're gonna have a pass, if you're gonna have a pass heavy secondary, that you have to have a strong linebacking core because then you're gonna have to fit. You're gonna face the run so much more often. And if they're just gonna run over, if they're gonna run through your linebackers to, and get to the second level, you're mm-hmm. done. You're just dumb. And I know they have Cunningham, who is a little disappointing, but he's disappointing for his pass defense. He's actually a distinctly above average run defender from a linebacker position. And that's kind of where the Texans linebacker mm. position as a whole lands. They don't have that 220-pound Levante David that can go cover the tight end. They have guys that are run-first linebackers, and that's what's kept them up until this year competent in the run game. But when those guys were getting a little banged up throughout the year, go along with the fact that their defensive line was abysmal, you can't make up for that. So I didn't really touch the linebacker room other than, you know, maybe even subtracting from it because it was the only position group the Texans had that I thought, you know, you could call competent. Somewhat. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. You ready to move on to, to step six? <laughs> step six. This is my favorite step. So, Nick, what we're going to do in step six is we're going to use these defensive linemen. All right. Step six, blitz, blitz, blitz. Everything we've done up to this point, Nick, is to create a defensive system where we can, we're throwing numbers at an offense. We're not going to let them run. We're not going to let them pass. And we're not going to give them time to do so. Because what we're going to do is we're going to suffocate them by throwing numbers. We're going to have the highest blitz percentage in the NFL. And we're going to use our youth and our energy to get after the, uh, the opposing teams and put a lot of pressure on our cornerback duo along with our above average safety play that the Texans naturally have their former second round pick corner uh, transitioning to safety last year and improving distinctly throughout the year we're going to put a lot of pressure on those guys and we're going to see if they can swim this becomes an elite defense all right if we're able to throw numbers and just manufacture pass rush then the days of, you know, the, the projected uh, days of saying, man, I wish we had J.J. Watt, becomes zero. And that's really the goal of this uh, part, part of this uh, scheme. Um, one thing to note is the Texans did have the lowest turnover rate in the NFL. And we're going to be able to get those numbers up by playing an aggressive style of defense. So 
Okay, mm. I have I have a point to make. I believe you, we addressed this last night. I don't know if we... I know we haven't addressed it yet today. Safety. Mm-hmm. What's the plan at safety? Because if you're blitzing mm-hmm. 30% of the time, what's to stop an offense from just going over the top every every time they get a chance? And, and once you're blitzing, they're just like yeah, one, two, three. Very good point. Dump it very over the top. So, the Texans actually invested a second-round pick in Lonnie Johnson uh, to come in and be their cornerback. I don't know if you re- if either of y'all remember him coming out. He was kind of a late first-round guy that slipped into the second round. I believe it was because of injury concerns. But they ended up thinking, um, all right, we're going to transition him to safety. And over the course of this last season... He was kind of getting the ropes and learning how to be a safety. And by the end of the year, looked downright solid. And I'm taking the position of if you can go from never having played safety to a legitimate NFL safety over the course of one season with no offseason, then you have the potential to develop even beyond that. And I think that the safety situation, we're going to have to rely on in-house targets in that way. Yeah, I like I like this too. I, I don't have any complaints. I guess the best thing you should do is bring in Doctor Heat. Maybe maybe you got to bring in Greg Williams. <laughs> maybe maybe we need Greg Williams, mm. Doctor Heat. But no. Ooh. But other than that, because that worked so well for the Jets. <laughs> nobody better in the league to just blitz on every play than Greg Williams. No, but yeah, I don't have any complaints about anything you've done with the defense. To be honest. Kind of, kind of like other than trading for JJ I mean, Watt. I think trading part Watt? of the JJ Watt thing we didn't address is that he kind of wants to get out of Houston too. So, mm-hmm. again, fixing the locker room. I think that's overblown, but I doubt JJ Watt wants to be a part of a fair rebuild. point. I think out of every sport, I would make the argument that out of every sport, the importance of locker room cohesion in the NFL Bingo. is the greatest. Agreed. And when you have when you have two. Your two best players both won out. Even if you convince them to come in, it's still a fracture that I think can really limit a team's output. And at least historically, that's coming from me, a Dallas Cowboys fan, who has dealt with a lot of dysfunction. Maybe not with guys wanting out, but with guys wanting other guys out. I've seen it firsthand how somehow just a little, you know, 3%, you know, loss in cohesion can completely ruin a locker room and completely ruin a season for a team that has a lot of potential. Yeah, again, I I have no complaints about the defensive side of your plans. You got, what, one step left here? Now we're on to step seven. I was warned about what step seven is. I believe this is just the <laughs> uh, piss-off Nick sack. <laughs> this, step, step seven, piss-off Nick. Great. What we're going to do in step seven is we're going to trade for a possession receiver to take advantage of all the speed that the uh, Houston Texans already have on the outside. As mentioned before, how they led the league in yards per catch. So what we're going to do is we're going to trade next year's one and we're going to trade a three for next year for one Julio Jones from the Atlanta Falcons. Now, <laughs> now you see decline. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, 
Um, a few things to note on that is that Julio is no longer cream of the crop in the NFL, right? I think he's definitely on the decline. I don't think you can make an argument he's the best receiver in football anymore. And it's only a few years away from uh, him just being another guy, right? Disagree, but I'll, so, I'll hold my peace. The Falcons. I, I disagree, I but I'll know, hold I my peace. I think Nick would disagree with that. I think the Falcons are going to want to get off his contract. And maybe that'll be in a couple years, but we're going to push the timetable up. Because this year, the the Atlanta Falcons happen to be in love with one Heisman Trophy winner <laughs> out of Alabama, Devonta Smith. And they want to have a way to take Why him in the draft. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? What is this? <laughs> so, in order to save money and take their, uh, you know, their their love of the draft and uh, for Devonta Smith and be able to take him, they're they're going to uh, end up getting rid of uh, Julio Jones. Now. From a Texans perspective, wait, 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 Nick, Nick, I have a, qu- I have th- this is a question for you. Would you rather have Devontae Smith or Zach Can Wilson at out? number four as an as a Falcons fan? <laughs> <laughs> no, the, you have so, one of the uh, in two. this scenario. Am I under the impression that Julio's not there, not on the team? If Hol- if Julio's not you on can the make team, then sure, I'll want. take Devontae Smith. If Julio's on the team, then I don't need another receiver. So then the choice is made for me. Fair point. Fair one point. thing we didn't touch on is what the Texans are going to do with uh, one I, Julio Jones. I assume I assume Julio Jones, they're going to put him out at wide receiver and throw him the ball. <laughs> what we're going to do with Julio... <laughs> Sounds like a solid plan. What, what the Houston Texans are going to do with one Julio Jones is they're going to completely remake his style of game to take advantage of all the space created by by this the insane amount of speed and athleticism the Texans already have. So what they're going to do is kind of mold Julio. And they're going to turn him into a sort of Marcus Colston, Michael Thomas combo guy that can just eat over the middle. No comment. <laughs> oh, I was I, expecting I to get a I rise out of that one. everything you're doing about this. <laughs> You you try you're trying to mold Julio Jones into in the slant with a Z Thomas. You're trying to mold Julio Jones into three time COVID offender New Orleans Saint receivers, and I might have to take a stand against it. I might have to opt out. <laughs> I don't I don't like where this is going. But but All right. l- let well, me say this. Though. Let me say this. This. If I'm the te- no bias, if I'm the Texans, I would not want to do that trade because you just saw what doing uh, trading a first round pick, a, f- a future first round pick is going to do to you if things don't go as planned. And as a Falcons fan, I've seen the Julio injury train, and it, when it hits, it hits heavy. And if you deal a future first and third round pick, and Julio Jones plays six games, all of a sudden you are now screwed. If non-biased, I would not want to do that if I was a Texans fan. Mm-hmm. We kind of just I, threw this one on at the I end while we were theory crafting. <laughs> <I can> tell. <laughs> that concludes my plan to get the Texans to the Super Bowl in the next two years. So, any final thoughts before we wrap up? I was going to be a little nicer and preposterous, <laughs> but... Un- <laughs> 
Un- but it's unrealistic. Fun, right? Let's go yes. with that. Fun, yes. The right, the, the I think the key is outside of trying to troll me and and then and the trading for Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> your the idea is is there. Like like I've said multiple times when you presented these ideas, the idea is there, and I like the idea and I like where you're going with it. The execution's a little off. That's that's mm. what I would say. But was it fun? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Damn straight it was fun. <laughs> well, these are the kind of conversations we can have in a draft room one day when I actually am promoted to GM of the Houston Texans, and y'all can talk me down off or these I can, Or I can log on to Twitter and just laugh at you. <laughs> I'll laugh at you for my... We'll be your I'll we'll be your least I'll favorite Twitter. Yeah, phones. Nick, I really feel like uh, I really feel like we're close enough to where you can just send me a text. No, about I'm going to create a burner. It, it's going to be you know text Texan fan nine four seven one three six four is just going to be in your mentions every day. Hey guys, Future Dakota here, just chiming in to let you know that over the course of this episode, we realized we had way too much content to fill in a single podcast. And so we split the two segments up, teased in the beginning of this episode, into two. The first part, about the Houston Texans, has just wrapped up. Please make sure to check us out on Twitter, at BasementCloset1, or check out our website, BasementClosetProductions.com, for more content. Please look forward to part two of this Houston-centric episode, coming soon.